0: First Corinthians chapter one, we begin a new series on Paul's letter to the Corinthians. In Corinth we see the good, the bad, and the ugly of living out our faith together. Living in the mess of our lives has never been easy as we bring the good news of Jesus to it. As we looked into the reading of God's word, if you'd join me in prayer. Oh God, we do ask that you would guide us this day by your word and spirit, that in your light we would see the light of your truth, and there we would find freedom. And Lord, in your will, we will discover your peace that you have for us through Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we now pray. Amen. Beginning in verse 10, Paul declares, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people, there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ Is Christ divided Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul I thank God that I have baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name I did baptize also the household of Stephanas beyond that I do not know whether I baptized anyone else for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The word of the Lord. From Ecclesiastes, we hear a repeated refrain, there is nothing new under the sun. What has been will be again. Human nature does not change. The expression, lipstick on a pig, it captures some of this. Someone somewhere is going to claim to be original, and that, This time, they're doing something unheard of before, and they go, no, you don't understand. It's not lipstick at all, but colored lip gloss, totally different. No, it's not. It always comes back around. As we see in fashion, just hold on to what you're doing, and it comes back in style again. And so it is with the Bible, you can change from tunics and robes to jeans sweaters but the struggles are still the same the same sins the same mess of life it remains a constant and one of the messy things is our sinful desire to split into groups that are aligned to, to different personalities and factions people following personalities and celebrities is a constant people dividing the factions and splinter groups is a constant Jesus is the only celebrity in his church, and he brings us together in himself. Only the gospel can enable you to become more of yourself when you are actually looking out for the interest of someone else. And only the gospel can bring together in unity the many diversities of our lives. And because the Lord has made us one in Christ, we are to work at the unity of his body. And this is hard work. It has always been hard work, and it will always be so. Jesus, in what's often referred to as high priestly prayer in John 7, we hear him pray for his people. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me And love them even as you loved me. So that was Jesus' desire for his people, for the body, for the church. And he's praying this because it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be difficult because of our own sin, the world, and the devil. It works at tearing apart this unity. It is a warfare for us. Well, As we begin then looking at these struggles we're going to see throughout the book of Corinthians, we'll we'll take just a look at who these Corinthians are as we look specifically at the first problem that Paul is addressing. Corinth was a a very wealthy city positioned along a major trade route of international trade. It was a cosmopolitan city of Greece, but actually it was a Roman colony. It was a, a fairly new city built under a Roman plan, and it was the capital of Achaia, and they were marked by what one scholar refers to as a competitiveness, self-achievement, and self-promotion that kind of marked life in Corinth. A bustling city, over 100,000 people, maybe up to a half million, all with a a real cultural diversity. They had Olympic-style games held there every two years, chariot racing, theater, and history tells us, a thriving sex industry. And they were so known for for this and for their decadence that the word Corinthian actually became a, a word, a way of describing people who were very immoral and decadent. I, I think maybe you could think of Corinth as a Las Vegas of its time. There was also a pseudo-intellectual polish to Corinth, a style of speech and rhetoric that was being established that appreciated Less the building of an argument in truth and more just simply the winning of an argument through eloquence, of being considered clever and eloquent. One of the difficulties as we look at Paul's letter is that there are times he's quoting from them and things that they're saying, the things that are in the air, and he is remarking about those things. And we're like listening to the other half of the conversation and we're left with, well, is Paul advocating that or is he simply just stating that to, to talk about it? And so we're going to find that as we go forward, some examples of that where we're like, are, should that saying be put in quotes or not? There are buzzwords that he uses a lot because they're using them. Words like wisdom, knowledge, freedom, spiritual gifts, the word fullness. They're all things that are being bantered around, and, and Paul is is engaging them because these have become problems as he's bringing the truth of the gospel to bear with them. Paul came to Corinth around March of 50 AD, and he stayed there a year and a half. Other than Ephesus is one of the, the longest places that he stayed in his missionary endeavors. And he begins his letter, he says, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. Not really sure who Sosthenes is. He could be the synagogue ruler mentioned in Acts 18, or or maybe he's the person that Paul dictated this letter to, but he's known by them. And then he he goes on after establishing who he is, and again, this long relationship he's had with them. He says, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both. Their Lord and ours. A tremendous statement of unity. Who are they? They are those who have been called by Jesus. And they have been called to be holy. And they belong with all the rest who belong to Jesus. Paul immediately is is putting them, is situating them in the larger body of Christ. And in his Thanksgiving prayer, which is verses 4 to 6... He's going to mention several things that are going to be themes he addresses later in his letter. He begins verse 4. I give thanks to my God always because of you for the grace that was given you in Christ Jesus. They didn't figure it out. It was given to them. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech. Speech is a big issue for them. Knowledge. Even the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you're not lacking in any gift you spend chapters 12 to 14 talking about the problems of spiritual gifts. As you await the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, anticipating chapter 15, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship. Fellowship is a problem. Of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Repeatedly, you have been called. God is the one who has initiated you. He's brought you into his people and the holy spirit paul's acknowledging he's done a great work besides a a few jewish converts the rest are, are basically pagans with no real connection to the truths of god and yet the lord is at work in their midst but we also see the lord is at work in their midst that this is a lifelong process it's difficult and it's often a generational process God's starting something here that may take a really long time to to work out in their system. And that's part of the problems that they face. Paul's going to address several. But one, I think, New Testament scholar, he he puts this really well, Lyle Vanderbrook. He said each of the community problems, and they're community problems. Each of them, Paul needed to address, grew out of the Corinthians' inability to let the gospel message fully shape their Gentile Greco-Roman lives. Whether they misunderstood the message or whether they rejected it, Christianity demanded that they enter another theological and ethical world. He's got to purge out Vegas and purge in Jesus. And this is the conflict because they grew up in Vegas. And Paul is saying a whole new way of thinking, a whole new ethic... It's got to be brought to bear on your lives. And, and he begins then immediately with this appeal. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind, the same judgment. If you read older writers of, of people speaking on Corinthians, they'll refer to a, a party spirit. Is present. It doesn't really connect as well, especially if you're younger, you think of party like a frat party, but it's party like different political allegiances. There are different allegiances, different parties in the church divisions that they are are moving towards. And that word of division is the word schism. We actually just that's the Greek word, we just take that right into English. There's a schism in the church, there's splits, there's factions occurring. And he says, for it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. Now, likely Paul is writing from Ephesus, which is just across the Aegean Sea. And Chloe, she's either in Ephesus or Corinth. She's got a tie to both cities. And some of her people ratted them out to Paul. And Paul says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow Christ. Now, Apollos First appears in Acts chapter 18. He, he shows up at actually at Corinth under the tutelage of Priscilla and Aquila. He was a, a Jew from Alexandria who converted. Very eloquent and gifted speaker. Uh, Cephas is another name for Peter, the Apostle Peter. It's his name in Aramaic. Uh, whether he showed up at Corinth at one time, which could very well be likely, or if it's just part of, of the, his group of people, either way. And then, of course, there's always that one group out there who go, I follow Jesus. I don't follow any of the rest of you. I just follow Jesus. And they say that in a way that means you're all excluded because we're doing it right and you're doing it wrong. So they're being just as divisive as they follow Jesus. Well, all of these people, at least at this point, there's no real difference in beliefs. It's simply centered on personalities. They're all teaching the same things. If you're Apollos, Peter, or Paul, the message of the gospel, they're all together in. And so it's simply about celebrity, personality. And Paul says in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? or Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And the answer, of course, is no, absolutely not. And then he goes on specifically about baptism. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Christmas and Gaius so that no one would be baptized in my name. Then he's thinking, you can see that in the parentheses, well, there's also the household of Stephanas, but beyond that, I don't know if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now, don't miss here, Paul. He's not speaking down about baptism. That's not his point. It seems that some in the church were making much of who baptized them that 's the issue wearing the the t shirts and getting the tattoos you know baptized by apollos that that idea you know running around asking Peter for an autograph Peter, Peter, you give me an autograph that that celebrity sense of I am way more connected to God or have more status because of the person who baptized me and Paul is having none of that in fact maybe Paul in some way is modeling Jesus in this in John's gospel chapter 4 it says that Jesus was not baptizing but his disciples were now I'm not saying he never did I'm just saying at least in that instance he was letting others baptize instead of him And maybe Paul was doing something similar. Because baptism is not a sentimental rite. The whole point is that God marks you as belonging to him through his son. You are baptized in his triune name. God is the one who's important in baptism. He marks you. He calls you to himself. If someone... Hands me a check for a million dollars to hand to you. I didn't make you a millionaire. Check the signature at the bottom. That's the one who made you a millionaire. You go to the bank and cash this in. And you go in there and they're like, whoa, who handed that to you? They don't care. They want to go, whose name is at the bottom of this? Whose account's going to cover this? Not, oh, Lloyd sent it to you. Well, Sure. That doesn't matter. Whose name is at the bottom of the check? Not the person. It's one of the reasons, it's more in our tradition than others. I'm not a big fan of sometimes a pastor will come in and and baptize their grandchildren or something like that. I don't really like that. Because the pastor whose authority they're under should be baptizing them. that happens to be you know, you're, you're pastoring that and that takes place, great. But don't, don't come in for that. Just sit in the congregation and, and celebrate with everybody else. Because it's not a sentimental right. I appreciate Southern writer Flannery O'Connor, she captured this idea when she equated, she says, sentimentality in religion is like pornography to art. Sentimentality takes away from the truth of what's going on. Baptism is not sentimental. It's a living sacrament of the Lord Jesus Christ. That by his power and authority, you have been marked as belonging to him. That's what's important. And Paul is bringing this out. He's downplaying something that they are making way too much over. Whether it's Paul, Apollos, or another evangelist, They're all communicating the same message about Jesus. And then in verse 17, he says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Notice that word wisdom here. You might just put it in quotes because Paul is making a contrast of wisdom of God and wisdom of men, which he's going to talk about shortly after this. We'll look at later. The kind of wisdom they're using isn't the right kind of wisdom. Now, it doesn't mean that Paul couldn't talk very well in front of people. Some people think, oh, Paul couldn't. No, he's not saying that at all. He's not saying that if you have training to communicate that, that's a bad thing. He's not saying that either. Remember, I said a minute ago that in Corinth, they had an appreciation for this fake intellectual polish. The persuasiveness of the communicator is what they were valuing rather than the persuasiveness of the truth being communicated. That's what Paul is getting after. He's saying, yes, good and clear communication, great. Manipulative speech, no, bad. And that's the problem they're having there. In all likelihood, Apollos was a better communicator than Paul. Remember, Greek probably wasn't Paul's mother tongue, and his schooling and training was in Hebrew and Aramaic. But Apollos wasn't manipulating people either he just was a better communicator communicating the truth and paul recognized that and commends him what paul does not commend is manipulative forms of communication because he says it empties the cross of its power that's a that's quite a statement how how does that type of bad communication manipulate Empty the cross of its power. We've heard that expression, the medium is the message. Canadian uh, Marshall McLuhan, he coined that in 1964. And what he meant was how you tell the message, what it comes packaged in, shapes the message. And it can do so to such a degree that it actually distorts the message. What might that look like? I remember hearing a message on the end times. And as the pastor got to preach, all the lights are turned down because they're doing something on the video. All the lights go black. And their music started playing in an E minor chord. And then the only accent lights were in red. Red's not very inviting in the dark. And then there's pictures on the screen of Political chaos and fearful things politically, E-minor music, red, backlighting, pictures of chaos. And somewhere along the line, the pastor said, "We shouldn't be afraid, but have hope in Christ." The whole tone of the message, all of his visual aids, all about fear. You think people left with, "I'm really glad I don't have to fear the future." I get to joyfully share the good news of Jesus with those who voted differently than I. Probably not. A lot of fear. You could just see it on people. Because that was what the message was wrapped in. The tone you, you use, the expression you use, all those things are a part of the message. And we, we need to be very careful of how we communicate. That we're not manipulating. We're not distorting. The truth. And Paul is going to go on, especially in chapter 12. He's going to say, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. The message is, is that God brings us to himself through his son, and that we are one together. And immediately we're struck with conviction it should be, like, well, what about all the denominations we're facing with today? No doubt there are way too many. No doubt, way too many are centered not really on differences of beliefs, but on differences of personality and celebrity. Those who, who founded it. We, that's all over the place. That said, it's not all bad either. We do have different beliefs and practices. We should be unified in the core of our understanding of the gospel. We should be able to encourage one another, share in the work of the gospel in the community that God has placed you with, other brothers and sisters. That should be a part of that. But there there are differences. And there is a diversity that we can't all meet in the same building. And so we, we have different flavors of Christians, and that's not all bad. What's bad is what underlies the differences of why we're different. You see, in Jesus, it's possible to enjoy great diversity centered on tremendous unity because He's the foundation. We all share Christ as the foundation. These divisions, the other way, are a symptom of a greater problem. It's our pride. I'm a part of the group, and the no, it's more in the no than your group, and we're better than you. That's all of us. Doesn't matter what group you come out of. That's the constant human condition. We all want to elevate whatever group we're in to say, well, we're slightly better than you. And we have to actively work against that because there is a sense my t-shirt and logo is better than your t-shirt and logo. The cool people wear mine. Human depravity. Every one of us. The Spirit of God in us is working against this. That we would not enter into this kind of divisive heart, even while we recognize there are true differences among us. It's how you deal with those differences. And you and I can and should appreciate great teachers, preachers, and authors whom God has used to bless our lives. We should. And we can love these gifts that have been used to benefit us. But we never forget who gave those gifts. For what purpose they were given. When we look at the signature at the bottom of the check. It's not about the one who handed it to you. Having heard the gospel from Billy Graham. Does not make that a better gospel that you would say and adhere to and come to faith in than your next door neighbor who nobody knows their name. Jesus' signature is at the bottom of the check of the gospel. And that is who we give thanks and praise for. And we are very thankful for clear and wonderful communicators who have enriched us in the teaching of the gospel because it is the truth of the gospel they are communicating. It is Jesus that is the message. And that is the unifying principle for his people that you and I get to participate in, that we share this work with one another and we must war against this human tendency to elevate ourselves at the expense of others. i not saying there's not differences, but what does our heart do with those differences? How do we respond? We give thanks and praise to Jesus as Paul has instructed us because the gospel that we cash in is based on the righteousness of Christ given to us freely that has been reckoned to our account by his grace and mercy. Praise God that his name is at the bottom of our gospel check. Pray with me. Father, indeed, we give you thanks. You have been so kind to us. You have called us out of darkness into light. Father, you have opened our eyes to see we who were once blind to your righteousness. You have forgiven us our sins. Lord, what a tremendous blessing. All of these gifts have been freely given. And Father, we just want to thank you for those. We want to to praise your holy name. And Lord, we do ask that you would forgive us where we have lost sight of that, where, Father, we have elevated an individual, Father, and elevated a group over the glory of Christ. And we pray that you would not only forgive us, but, Father, that you'd continue to teach us to walk in humility towards one another. Father, that we truly would be disciples of Christ, that we would walk after, we would follow after him. Give us a great love and appreciation for one another. And Father, help us to be mindful of the schemes of the evil one as he would try to to tear apart the the unity of the church. Lord, we long to see the world recognize that you have sent your son because of the love that is shared between us. We pray and ask for that all through Jesus, our great Redeemer.